we're going to kind of get to know each other. So um, I am from Wisconsin. Anyone from Wisconsin in the room? Yeah. Yep. So uh, tell me where you're from on the count of three. One, two, three. All right. All right. So you're all over the place. Um, so, so maybe, uh, maybe you've noticed some things about where you live. I've, uh, so I've lived in, in Wisconsin for about four years now, and uh, there's some amazing things about Wisconsin. One of them is this. Amen. Like I said, Wisconsin cheese, it's pretty amazing, right? So there are some amazing things about Wisconsin, but there's also some really interesting things that I've discovered. So, so look at this. So, so most of us in this room would look at this and we would call it a paper bag, right? Well, in Wisconsin, they call it a paper bag, bag, like egg, not bag, bag. And you may go, okay, well, that's kind of silly. Oh yeah, wait for this one. So you and I would call this a water fountain, right? Or a drinking fountain. Guess what they call it in Wisconsin? Yeah, a bubbler, right? And so, so a, a little kid comes up to me and says, uh, where's the bubbler? Because they kind of sound English in, in Wisconsin. And I, I'm like, you're too young for champagne. What are you, what's, what are you asking for? And then I find out it's a water fountain. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So I am a, I'm associate pastor of Next Gen Ministry at Hales Corners Lutheran. It's in uh, Wisconsin, kind of a suburb of, of Milwaukee. And I've been there, like I said, for about four years. Um, I've been doing the, been doing the next gen thing for uh, for almost twenty five years now, and so next gen. If you haven't heard that uh, that kind of phrase in particular, next gen ministry that kind of captures children and middle school and high school, young adult, kind of all captured together. And I've got a wonderful team um, of about ten individuals that that help in all of those areas, and we work together. And I oversee, and it's a it's a great joy. I love doing what I'm doing. I've been doing that my my entire ministry, and I'm blessed uh, blessed to to serve there. Um, another part of my ministry. Is uh, oh, I went too fast. Another part of my ministry is uh, is my family. These are uh, these are my girls. This is my wife Gretchen and uh, my oldest daughter Sydney, who's going into sixth grade, and my youngest daughter Riel, who just graduated kindergarten. So our baby is no longer little, right? She's going into first grade, um, and so I live in a house with all girls. I am the head camp counselor at Camp Estrogen. I really am, even. Even Luna is a girl. This is Luna. This is our golden retriever. Just in case you can't tell, she's on the left. That was a joke. <laughs> this is Luna. Um, and so living, uh, living in a house with all girls. Anyone else uh, the only dude in a house of all girls here? I'm the only one. Wow. So none of you. What's that? No kids. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So here's the thing, I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of enter into my world. Being the only dude in a house of girls means that there is always someone crying, right? So you kind of can relate to this, right? So there's always someone crying, right? Now in our house, it's usually me. Is it usually you? No, all right, you're not a crier, right? But I love, uh, I really do. I love my family. I love my wife, love my girls, uh, love ministry, and it's a joy to serve. Um, so let me, let me get a, a, a clearer sense of the room. How many of you, raise your hand if you are a volunteer in youth ministry in some way in this room? Okay, so a good, good chunk of you. Raise your hand if you are um, a professional, uh, a paid professional in youth ministry in some way. Okay, several of you. Uh, DCEs? Nope, just paid youth worker? Pastor? Pastor? Youth director. All right. Cool. Thank you, guys. Uh, all of you guys. Thank you, volunteers, for what you do. Thank you, professional youth workers, for what you do. It uh, is important, important 
work. Let me pray for you guys. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, dear Lord, I give thanks for each of these individuals are in this room. Lord, in the midst of a, a youth gathering that uh, um, can be filled with with. Um, so many empowering and and energizing things. Dear Lord, it can also be in moments where we're just tired. And so I pray uh, as all of us are here today uh, in this moment at four o'clock on a Sunday, Lord, where we're a little tired, that uh, that you would just give us open ears, that you would help us to be alert. And dear Lord, that that whatever it is that uh, that these individuals might need to hear that, uh, that brings them into this space, dear Lord, uh, that you would help them to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. So I know I keep saying it, but thank you, right? Thank you for what you do. And the reason I keep saying thank you is because someone like you had an impact on my life, impact in my life in such a significant way that it has helped to shape who I am. This volunteer in youth ministry impacted my life so much that, that fast forward, right? Fast forward 20 years or so, right? Fast forward and, and, and here I am today and the ministry that I do. But before I tell you about, about this volunteer in my life, I need to tell you a story about my first Superman suit, right? So it was, uh, it was my seventh birthday and I had a, a birthday gift that I started to unwrap. And as I'm unwrapping this, this birthday gift, I saw it. I pull off the box top and there it was, this Superman shirt, right? With the Superman emblem, right? The red, the yellow, the blue, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And so I was so excited. I grabbed that box and I ran up the stairs to my bedroom to put it on. I was so excited. My Superman suit, this is amazing. So I put on the Superman shirt and then I pulled off, pulled out the, the blue Superman pants, right? Pants, because Superman wears pants, not tights. So I put on the Superman pants and there I saw it, the cape, the red Superman cape. And I was like, this is amazing. So I pull out that Superman cape and I put it on. And then I notice at the bottom of the box is a note. And the note says, warning, this is a costume. Only Superman can fly. And I thought, hmm, a pretty good warning. Probably a warning for my parents. Right? And so I ran out of my room, down the stairs, out the front door to my favorite oak tree. And I started to climb. And I, as I climbed that oak tree, I was picturing in my mind's eye, Superman. Superman with his arms stretched forward, his knee tucked up, and his cape in the background as he's flying through the sky. It's what I'm picturing in my mind's eye. And I'm wearing this Superman suit and I felt like Superman, right? And so I'm climbing up this oak tree and then I get to a place where there's a large enough branch that I start to shuffle out on that branch. As I'm shuffling out on that branch, I'm picturing in my mind's eye, Superman flying in the sky, right? And so I begin to count down one, two, three, and I jumped from that branch. And when I woke up, I decided not to try the faster than a speeding bullet thing. My parents told me that I wore that Superman suit everywhere. But you need to understand, Superman was my hero. When you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. And so I wore that Superman suit whenever and wherever I could. 
And I, I would wear it to the grocery store and I'd wear it to the bank. I would try to wear it to church. My mama would say no. But I loved wearing that Superman suit. And I remember whenever I'd be wearing that Superman suit, people would point. Some of them would smile. Some of them would laugh. But I didn't care. Because when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. Well, fast forward to my preteen years. I had a friend named Seth. And Seth loved the the Ninja Turtles. That's right. So, so understand when I, when I was a, uh, when I was a kid, some of you in the room won't relate to this. When I was a kid, some of you will, uh, we had to actually do this thing to be able to watch our favorite cartoons. We couldn't just download it, right? We couldn't just go and, and instantly watch it. We had to wake up early on a Saturday morning. We called it Saturday morning cartoons. And so, uh, so I would spend the night at my friend Seth's house and, and you need to understand, whenever you spent the night at Seth's house on a Friday night and you were watching Saturday morning cartoons, it was not a spectator sport. In other words, when we were together, as soon as the Ninja Turtle theme song came on, we were up on our feet, jumping back and forth, pretending that we are Ninja Turtles. Now, anyone guess who's, uh, which of the Ninja Turtles was Seth's favorite? Yep, it was Michelangelo, and uh, he actually had created his own pair of nunchucks out of paper towel rolls and string, and he would swing those, and he would scream out. Do you remember what Michelangelo would scream out? Cowabunga. Yep, he'd, he'd scream out, cowabunga, dude. But what you need to understand is that, cow, that Michelangelo was Seth's hero. And when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. Well, fast forward to high school. And in my high school years, a real life hero took center stage. Now understand that, that I loved Superman from the time I was very little and I still love Superman and I would call him my hero, right? I love superheroes, but this was a real life hero. His name was Tim. Tim, Tim was a Marine and Tim was a giant of a man. He was six foot seven. Tim had, had legs the size of tree trunks. Tim didn't just have a six-pack. He had a 12-pack, right? Tim, Tim had biceps like mine, right? He was just a giant muscle, but he was also a golden retriever. Do you know what I mean by that? Tim was not just this giant muscle. He was this caring man. And Tim was a volunteer in our youth ministry. And I remember over the years as I got to know Tim, as Tim invested in me, I remember being captivated by the way Tim would, would teach and the way Tim would pray and, and the things that Tim would, would lead. Right? I remember so much about those years with Tim. He, he coordinated a, a little Bible study that we'd do it at his home and, and uh, you know, you'd eat some snacks and you'd do some games. But I remember so much about those times when we were at Tim's house. I, I remember snacks that we ate. I remember the games that we played. Right? I, I remember... I remember that we would, we would always kind of start with Bible study, and I began to do this thing. When Bible study was done, before we started having snacks and games, I would sneak to Tim's closet, and I would step into his, his combat boots. I would put on his little, his little military jacket and his military hat, which looked huge on me, right? And I'd walk out amongst the group, and I'd start pretending like I was Tim. And the kids would laugh, and Tim would laugh, and I would laugh. But you know, in some ways, I wasn't playing dress up. 
because Tim had become my hero. And when you have a hero, you want to look like that person no matter what. It wasn't until it wasn't until my college years that I realized something really important about Tim. See, Tim had a hero too. Tim had a hero and he tried to live his life and look like his hero. See, Tim's hero shaped everything about him. Tim's hero shaped how he spoke and how he taught and how he tried to live. His hero laid down his life for him. And so in his life, he laid down his life for others. Tim's hero was Jesus and everything that he did, he tried to do so that he would look like Jesus. There's an amazing verse, amazing verse in Ephesians. This verse in Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says this, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because when you have a hero, you want to look like that person, no matter what. And so I say, thank you. Thank you for what you do, how you serve, how you love teenagers, because someone like you invested in me and has impacted my life. And I know, I know that many of you may be looked at as a hero of someone's life as well. And so remember in the midst of who we are and what we're called to do, that we have an even greater hero that we seek to reflect, that we seek to imitate in our life of ministry. So thank you. Thank you for imitating your hero, your savior, Jesus, and what you've been called to do. Now you come into this room, right? And we have a session that's titled more than pizza and Fortnite." Now I got to tell you, this is what they asked me to speak on success in youth ministry. And I'm like, oh, that's a boring title. I need to add something that's kind of funny. So I added pizza and Fortnite, right? I added that kind of as a trigger to, to pull you in. But, but as I started preparing and thinking about this title that they've asked me to, 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 to talk about success in youth ministry, I think it's a really unfair topic. And the reason I think it's an unfair topic is because of that word success. I think it's an unfair word. And I think it's an unfair word because the churches that you serve at, the youth ministries that you have, are as varied and as diverse as the individual kids that you love and serve, right? And so, so what we might define as success in one church, in one youth ministry, may not be success in another. And success in someone else's ministry might not be success in yours. And so I'm just really, really uncomfortable with that title. So I renamed it. And so I think this is a more appropriate topic for us to talk about. Markers of effective youth ministry. Because I do believe there are markers that we can identify, that we can think about, that we can all lean into that do lean and point towards effective youth ministry that can be done in lots of different spaces and ministry contexts. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Markers of effective youth ministry. You guys ready for this? So I'm going to give you four. This is not an all-encompassing list, but these are four markers that I think are really, really important in what you've been called to do. 
The first one is this, check your heart. Everyone say, check your heart. So it was 1998, I was, I was 21, I was straight out of school and I was serving in youth ministry and I was eager and I was ready. Right, I was I was eager and ready to have fun with with kids and with families. I was eager and ready and focused focused on on creating games and and creating retreats and creating fun and creating relationships. I was I was focused focused on playing the guitar not very well, right? But I was focused on and all these things in the ministry that I was doing. I was I was I was busy doing doing all sorts of things connected to to ministry. I was I was working 60 to 70 hours a, a week right in in youth ministry investing in in kids. I was doing important things. I was busy. But I was missing the most important thing. See, I didn't know it, but I was drifting. I was majoring in what was minor. I was not focused on what I needed to be focused on. And I needed a heart check. See, you and I, we get busy. But sometimes, sometimes in youth ministry, we can be so busy doing important things that we miss the most important thing. And we need a heart check. See, one of the most important markers in youth ministry begins with you. Everything you do as a leader in ministry begins with your heart. And we all need a heart check. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need a heart check. See, in order to inspire faith in your youth, you need to first practice authentic faith in your own life. And if you're like me, if you're like me in my life, in my ministry, when it comes to personal Bible study, when it comes to Sabbath, when it comes to worship, when it comes to prayer, I drift. So often in the midst of my life, I'm sporadic. I major in what's minor. I minimize what Jesus maximized. And when it comes to my walk with God, I have to admit that there are times when I am a great faker and it hurts to admit that. I need a heart check, a regular heart check. And I wonder if you can relate. We might, we might kind of pretend like our, our walk with God is smooth and in step, but it's really more of a, of a kind of stumble in our life, right? We think, we think that Listening to our Hillsong playlist in our car is enough. We think that speed reading our daily email devotional is enough. We think that, that well, I'm in the word because I'm preparing for a Bible study, a devotion, that it's enough. When we know it's different, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same. You can fake a genuine walk with Jesus for a while, but not forever. Everything you do in ministry begins with your heart. And Jesus taught on this. This is a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 22. You've probably heard them before. So starting here with verse 37 to, to 39. If you can uh, read the screen, let's, let's read this together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So do a little uh, theological um, dig in here. So what's the distinction here as Jesus is teaching between this first and second commandment? What's the difference between these two commandments? These two commandments. What's the difference? What do you see? As you look at this, Jesus is teaching that one is greatest and there's another after it. And so you go, okay, yeah, I get that, right? There's one that's above the other. But, but consider this for a moment. As you're looking at this, as Jesus is teaching, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Now, oftentimes, oftentimes we kind of break this up and we might kind of capture this, this first part as loving God. But then he continues and he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, this is the second greatest commandment. And so sometimes we capture that and we say that's loving others. So think of it this way. We might, as Jesus teaches, as he says, loving God, we might consider this, we sometimes call in theological terms, this vertical relationship with God. This is worship. This is prayer. This is Bible study. This is Sabbath, right? This is your time with God. But understand, understand that for us to be able to love God, it is inspired first from a God who loves us perfectly and completely. God who loves us by the work of the Spirit inspires in us a love for him. And from that place, we're then able to love others. And so, so then we see loving others, and we might, we might in this room capture this idea that loving others for us is doing ministry, doing youth ministry, serving teenagers, right? So loving God, vertical. Loving others is horizontal. It's doing ministry. Loving God matters. Loving people matters. But we need to be careful that we don't minimize what Jesus maximized. There is a difference. There's a difference between loving God and loving others. And I really believe this is where youth workers, church workers, volunteers, those that are involved in loving others, this is where people get it mixed up. They get it out of order. And we allow increasing ministry to decrease our intimacy with God. And when that begins to happen, right? When that begins to happen and we don't see the difference between this, in this order, it results in a ministry-focused life rather than a God-focused life. And so we need a heart check. See, God is more concerned with your being than your doing. And so we all need to pause. And the first marker is this idea of a heart check. To be an effective youth worker, we need a heart check. Marker number two is this idea of steering clear of compliments and comparison. Everyone say steer clear. So it was 2001, I was returning from the New Orleans um, National Youth Gathering and uh, had spent time with a group of kids. And it was, a, it was an amazing trip, right? It took time for us to bond. It took time for us to connect. There was a, there was a student on this trip, Josh, and he struggled from the beginning. He was disruptive, right? He was, uh, he was aggressive. He wasn't polite, and so in the midst of the early stages of this trip, I really had to just nail him to the wall and get on him. 
I had to talk to him about, about how you treat others and, and what's expected in this group when we have a Bible study and devotion. And, and, and so I really laid into him. Now, after I really hit him hard with, with the expectations in the word, I, I then went to, to kind of invest in that relationship. And I started to see a change, certainly between, between him and I, but, but between him and the group. As, as I would pray with him and as he would share more and more, I started to realize that things at home were not great. And so I would listen and I'd pray with him and he would share. And I, I started to really see a difference in the midst of this trip. And so, so we travel home. And when we get home, I finally get home to my couch and I sit down like many of you are going, oh, dear Lord, it's so close. Right? And I'm sitting down. I'm exhausted, but I'm thankful. I, I begin to kind of chuckle because I think about conversations that I had probably an hour ago when, when only three families came up and said, oh, how was your vacation with the kids? Right? And I get home and I'm sitting down and I'm thinking of the kids and I'm smiling as I think about the different things that we've done. And then my mind shifts to Josh. And I start giving thanks to God for, for our conversations, for what we what we shared and, and the change that I saw. And in the midst of giving thanks, I got a phone call. Guess who it was? Josh's mom. And I'm like, oh yeah. Come on, Josh's mom. I invested in your kid. I poured into your kid and I saw amazing change. Let's hear it. Come on. Come on. Let me know. Tell me about it. I'm picturing Josh going home and telling about all this amazing stuff, right? The conversations we had and how I prayed for him and how it was an amazing trip. And you know what she asked? Why he didn't come home with all his socks. She asked why she heard stories of them using their spray axe to kill bugs in the hotel. You got to steer clear of compliments because I'm guessing you can relate to that story in some way where you're thinking, I gave everything for your kid. Let me hear it. And it doesn't come. Now, thanks be to God when it does come. But what you need to understand in the midst of this, the reason we need to steer clear from compliments is because of that is where you are finding identity, support, and clarity for your role in youth ministry, you're missing it. Where you find confidence and encouragement is from the fact that God has you exactly where he wants you to be. Think about that. The creator of the universe has placed you in this moment at this national youth gathering for a purpose. You have been called and placed by God. That is the only compliment, validation that you need. And so we steer clear from compliments. And we also, in the midst of this, we need to steer clear from this idea of comparisons because this is something all of us do. We, we fall into this comparison trap and it's so easy. Maybe it's in your own youth group. Maybe you have multiple adult leaders and you're going, gosh, I wish I was more fun. I wish it was the, the leader like so-and-so. I wish I could be like that. I wish I was more athletic or, or taller. I wish I was younger. I wish I was more wise, right? You start comparing. Or maybe, maybe you compare your youth group with other youth groups. We're small. They're so big. 
right? Or, wow, that youth group seems so close. We seem so fragmented. Oh, I wish we had a youth leader like that youth leader. Oh, I wish our pastor was like that pastor. We, we start to compare. Have you heard that phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side? Yeah, it's not a good phrase. A better phrase would be the grass is always greener where it's watered. And so find confidence in the call that God has placed in where you are now, that you are equipped in your weaknesses, his strength, your ever-present God who is with you in the midst of your call. So steer clear from compliments and comparisons. That's marker number two. And here's marker number three. People before program. Say people before program. And so program, that is an important part of ministry, but people always need to come first. So beyond all the hype, all the flashy programs, the very best group builders, games, Bible studies, devotions that you would do, the relationship with the kids that you serve is critical. And if you neglect that, well, then your youth ministry isn't going to be all that it can be. Because people before program is a heart. It is a marker of effective youth ministry. Let me, let me tell you a story about a guy named Blake. Blake was, he was a, a youth in, in my youth ministry years ago. Blake was an African-American. Um, he was uh, in, a, in a suburban congregation and in an area that was primarily white. Now, now Blake, Blake was smart, fiercely intelligent. And Blake also kind of had an edge to him. He was sarcastic, but he was so smart. And, and relationally, he was so good that he could say things that others couldn't say. But he was also a little disruptive, right? And so kids in our youth group, they liked Blake. They went to school with Blake and they, they invited him to come to our youth ministry. And so he started to come, and at first I'm like, whoa, dude, who are you, and what are you saying, and, and acting? And I, I then started to kind of get to know Blake, and, and I started to appreciate Blake. And Blake, I think, started to appreciate me. And in the midst of that relationship, he learned that, that we were going on, in, in just a couple months, a servant event trip to Colorado, a mission trip experience. And, and so he started asking about it. And, and he then asked, well, is this something I could go on? And so Blake and I met and we talked about expectations of what he would need to do and what I would need to see from him. And, and, and in that conversation, I realized rather quickly, there was no way he'd be able to afford this. And so we talked about expectations, if I might be able to find a donor, an angel for him, or what that would mean. And, 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 and he was all for it, and I easily found an angel. And, and he goes on this trip with us, this servant event. And so on this, this trip to Colorado, uh, one of the activities that we did is we, we climbed a, a mountain. We climbed a mountain. And, and what we did is we woke up really early before the sun was up. And you get to the peak of this mountain so you can watch the sunrise. And so we're doing this as a group, and, and as the sun is starting to rise, we're at the top, and all the kids are kind of spread out, and they're together, and they're talking, and they're excited, and drinking water, and having snacks. And Blake, Blake is off by himself. And I, and I thought that was kind of odd, because he's so social. And so I just, I just kind of wandered over by him, sat down next to him, 
looked at him and just stayed quiet, sitting with him. And after maybe a minute, he says, everyone thinks that the people I live with are my mom and dad. It's my grandma and grandpa. My dad's in jail. My mom doesn't want me. Why doesn't my mom want me? He started to unpack the story of his life. And you start to see as I just sat and I listened how he acts and why he acts the way he acts. I sat on that mountain and I listened. What do you think? What do you think as Blake is now in his 30s? What do you think he remembers about that servant event trip? Do you think he remembers the bus ride or the games or all the Bible studies? Or do you think he remembers this moment when someone listened? When someone invested in the people, the person before the program? And so that, that idea of people before program can, can, I think, be broken down into three subpoints. And, and some of you mentioned these points. And this is the first one, this idea of pursuing the one. And now when I say pursue the one, I'm not talking about our one true God. I'm talking about the individual, right? And so pursue the one. And so in order to place people before program, you need to consider that your youth group, there's large group and there's the individual, and there is this balance. And there's this art of trying to figure out the balance, right? Of teaching to the crowd, but pursuing and caring for the individual, right? So now I serve, I mentioned at Hales Corners Lutheran Church. It's a giant church, 9,000 members. We've got 600 in our school. I've got 400 in my confirmation alone. I get the challenge of teaching to the crowd and pursuing the individual. I get the challenge and both are needed, but, but I think there's this art, the importance of pursuing the one in the midst of what we do. So we speak to the crowds, we care for the individual. And I know that this is an important truth connected to people before program, because you know, who was a master at this? Jesus. Think about it. There's a group of friends that pull open a roof and they begin to lower their friend down into a room where Jesus is. And what does Jesus do? He stops and he focuses on the one. Jesus is in a crowd. A woman who's been hemorrhaging breaks through the, the crowd just to touch Jesus. And he stops and he focuses on her. Jesus is walking and a wee little man up in a tree. Jesus stops and he focuses on Zacchaeus. Jesus is a master of pursuing the one, teaching to the crowd, caring for the individual. This is an important truth in people before program. And the next one is this, believe in them. Believe in the youth you serve. So teenagers have the power to make a difference in the world. But sometimes what sparks it, what prompts it, is four simple words. I believe in you. To speak belief into them for what they can do as a child of God in the midst of professional ministry or just in the midst of, of not just, but in the midst of being a child of God in the life that they live. 
can embolden them and empower them to, to do some amazing things. So believe in the kids that you, you serve. Jesus is another, this is another example that Jesus does in an amazing way. Just look at the disciples. Look at Peter, Peter who constantly messes up and, and, and Jesus gives him the name Rock, right? He gives him the name and the disciples are like, no, it should be Pebbles. Come on, Rock, this is not, this is not. And, and he builds his church on Peter, right? He believed in him. And so you believing in your youth makes a significant impact. And so pursue the one, believe in them, and affirm them. Every day, the kids that you serve and love are receiving messages from the world, right? That they're not good enough, that they're not smart enough, that they're not cool enough, that they're not successful enough. Think of how much you love encouragement. You can make a kid's day by encouraging them. What would happen? What would happen if you took time today, whether it's at the end of the day or in between before mass event, if you wrote every single one of your kids a note, a note that affirms them, right? And, and don't just affirm things that the world sees. What if you affirm godly qualities and, and characters and, and values that you see in them? Right, if you pointed them out and you affirmed them, what would happen to that relationship between you and that, that youth? What would happen to your youth group? Some amazing things. And so part of People Before Program is affirming the kids that you serve. Right? And so we're talking markers and effective youth ministry. Check your heart. Steer clear of compliments and comparisons. People Before Program. And the last one is this. Listen, listen, you might go, oh, that's a marker. Yeah, I listen. Think about that for a moment. I learn so much about the kids that I serve by sitting with them at a meal and being quiet, just listening. On a youth gathering like this, you can learn so much about your kids. Now, listen, if you're sitting there with them, you may not always like what you hear, but how can you speak and impact the world that surrounds them if you don't know what they're into or what they're challenged with, what they're going through? See, people listen to people who listen. Teenagers listen to people who listen. And so, so this idea of listening is something that we all need to continually grow in. And so I'm going to give you three suggestions, three ways to continue to learn to listen. And the first one is this, listen with your ears. And you might go, what? Yeah, I listen with my ears. No, 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 no. So think about a conversation that you're having with your kids and they're sharing Truly listening with your ears means that you're not finishing their sentences, right? It means that you're not interrupting. It means that you're truly listening. You're following up with clarifying questions and then you're being quiet, right? You're being quiet so that you're really listening with your ears as they share. And you're not just letting yes or no answers go by. You're following up so that you can then listen with your ears and know what's happening. And so listen with your ears. And then there's listening with your eyes. And what, what do I mean by that? So think about it. When you are talking with your kids, are you focused with your eyes on the individual? Or are you looking on behind them what's happening? Are you looking at your watch? Are you looking at your phone? Right? Are you looking beyond in your mind of what's next? 
Or are you truly investing in them with your eyes, giving them attention, letting them see with your eyes that you are completely listening to them? Listen with your eyes. Last one, listen with your face. So think about that, this idea of listening with your, your face. Do your students, as they're, they're talking to you, do they believe that you're invested in them with the way that your face is listening? If they're sharing something that's sad and, and hurtful, are you, are you giving an empathetic face? If they're excited, are you excited with them with your face? Or are you just kind of sitting there? Your face, your nonverbals can communicate so much about how you're listening and invested in the kids that you serve and that you love. Four markers of effective youth ministry. Checking your heart, steering clear of compliments and comparisons, people before program, and listening. Now, you might sit here, and especially so late in the gathering, and maybe going, good Lord, how do I take all this in, right? And here's what I would say. It's always better to take something rather than nothing. So take a moment in your, in your mind and think, okay, what is it that I'm going to take with me? Maybe it's something that you can apply in your ministry right away, or maybe it's something that you're going to take and really kind of reflect on. What is the one thing that you're taking with you from this session today?